Welcome to Help from Future Self. Howdy, Archons. Welcome to an episode of Help from Future Self, a conversational Keyforge podcast for and by Keyforge friends. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, but my mom calls me Alex, and I am joined, as always, by my Keyforge chums here in Vancouver, British Columbia. We got the reeling Keyforger, Rick. Hey, what's up? And Coach Boulevard Paper Fight. What's the haps, Blake? Hey, what's going on, guys? Man, uh, a, a very busy weekend of Keyforge just passed. Um, we had a prime championship here at Rain City Games in Vancouver. That was a lot of fun. We all participated in it. We all played a lot of Keyforge. It's an adaptive format. We're going to have some conversation about that coming on up. Um, and then you guys went out and played Sealed last night, which I couldn't believe. Yeah, that was... Um, I, I was the only one out of the three of us, but we, we did do that. And honestly, it was the perfect thing to do to after like an intense weekend we had there was so much laughing going on last night it was it was it was kind of strange because but it also amazing but we were just like laughing and having a hysterical good time because uh, we played uh sealed adaptive which we'll go into more in a bit yeah absolutely just out of curiosity how many folks who were at the prime which was 20 people i think 19 people um uh were actually out for sealed last night so I think Dennis, and then we had a new player, Alfred, just joined the group. I think those were the only two people who were not present. So we had nine then from from the Prime show up. Oh my so goodness! Pretty much half came back. Yeah, man, that's fantastic. I'm so glad to hear that. I was I was pretty keyforged out myself, but uh, uh, we got like a little. But bit it of didn't news. stop you from jamming games on TCO, did it? No, it absolutely did not. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was a little Keyforge punch drunk. But uh, there is some news that we wanted to discuss this week. Um, Target appears to be blowing out all their uh, two-player starter sets for Worlds Collide. What do you make of that, Blake? Uh, a really good deal for our, our friends across the border in the United States is what I make of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much. So I think the costing on it was like you could buy two starter sets and they were at a discounted price. They were like 11 or $12 each and then you get one free. So ultimately what it ended up being is you, if you bought six of them, it was about 50 bucks US for the equivalent of 12 packs or what's in a display case. So we know lots of people who just went buck wild buying them, kind of like we did with the uh, the Amazon boxes when they went down to $50 here in Canada for Coda. Um, I'm sort of curious about what this means for two-player starter sets. Like, is it a thing that we're going to see people adjust their orders on? Are they just not popular after the set's been out for a little while? Um, I do find that sort of like... Obviously, we've seen different experiments with how they're uh, packaging the product with each set. Like Worlds Collide, for example, we had that special deluxe collector's edition, which wasn't the most amazing value. It was kind of cool from a collector's standpoint. But one of the things that we've seen maintained across all sets is these starter sets. Is, is there any point where we stop seeing those? Or is just the necessity of tokens going to make them always a thing? I've encouraged stores to not bother with the two-player starters. Just as just get the one player ones if for for consolidating product because I mean last night as the prizing they were all one player starters were given out as as the top three prizes last night I think uh, you order it once and that's it and I'm and I'm almost thinking like us as a community when we have those those excessive tokens mm -hmm. like we should just actually give them back like when we get a prize of that we should give the tokens back to the store so if they get new players coming in that 
alleviates the need to constantly stock that and then they can just sell the one player decks and if they're like oh yeah i'm a new player like do you have tokens no oh well we got these here so you can have these so that way it kind of adds value they feel like the they're getting more and they're not getting stock that doesn't move as well so that's something to keep in mind for for all of us no matter where you are if you're getting extras and you really support your game store maybe help them out by encouraging them not to buy those and giving tokens to them that they can give to two player starter said obviously the best value if you're looking to have enough tokens for two players one player starter for one player um you're absolutely right though like i have a lot of extra tokens at this point and i keep meaning to sit down and actually make up a bunch of token sets just to give out and have handy and like maybe just put at the store so if uh, you know like you said somebody comes in decides to try out the game here you go some little extra for you yeah i think it's a good plan and i i don't know about you but i've noticed that the the two player starters seem to contain like um above average decks i don't know if that's just a pure coincidence or if it's an actual thing. That's something that I was going to mention, because I've heard that a lot of people's best decks in Worlds Collide have been from the starter kits. That has not been my experience, I'll be totally honest. Not mine, not mine either, but I've I've heard from a few people. I can't remember who on at the moment. But. Although all of our first Worlds Collide's deck came out of the Target Leak starters, and I think we all got something, like, pretty good and playable. Like, I got that wacky double pile of skulls deck oh, with yeah. all the, you know, the capture shenanigans. Blake, you got that Zenzi Zenzi Zenzik deck. Um, and I also got my highest rated deck is, is oh, from really? that, too. My very first, literally my very first Worlds Collide deck I opened was from a starter deck, and it's my highest rated deck in my collection. Oh, really? What's it number? 80. Good number. Blake, you wanted to pitch a would you rather. It's one of our recurring segments in which one of us asks the others, what would you rather have in your deck? I believe we have a mass mutation themed query this week. Take it away, Blake. Yeah, I mean, why not jump on the hype of things that exist within mass mutation that we are actually completely aware of? And for this one, it's if you could have any enhancement in your deck between them, what would you rather have? And the choices are, the damage enhancements, the ember pip enhancements, the capture pip, or the card draw pip. So, Rick, I'm going to throw this one to you first. Out of those choices, what would you rather have in your deck? As I think my playstyle has proven, I would like the ember pip because I like to just go fast, not worry about anything else, just get get the cards out get the ember pips and go so you want to see basically more ember pips available to you as you as you proceed yep all right and alex what what is your uh your choice what which one would you rather have i mean i see the value in all of them like a pip of amber is never bad there's very few scenarios in which you don't want a pip of amber maybe you're trying not to go too high so that somebody doesn't uh, hit you with an interdimensional graft or like uh too much to protect or something but more often than not you want a pip of amber uh when it's available to you um, I mean, I like the one damage as a ward popper. I think that actually has a ton of value now that we've seen the strength of warding as a mechanic. Um, I think what it ultimately might boil down to me is as much as I'd like to say card draw, there is the part of me that thinks, well, if I draw a card, it's not the active house. It's a card I would have drawn anyway at the end of my turn. So I think I would go probably with either a pip of amber or, you know, when it comes right down to it, capture an amber. There we go. Add a little control to your deck. If your deck doesn't have any control, maybe you get a little control. If you got control, maybe you get a little extra amber control. I like that idea. I was debating that one, but ultimately I went for card draw. And the reason being is because it can be up to five 
on a card and the card can give any number. And I actually like to cycle through my deck faster and redraw so I know I have the tools available again. And you are right. There's no question about it that you could draw something out of house that you do not get to use. But at the same time, you're also aware that you have this card. So it provides the utility of being aware. And then also, if you can play it, that is just cycling more. So that's one more card less in your deck, one more card closer to cycling through everything and getting to redraw. So I'm a big fan of the card draw. There's a big reason why I like Kirby and Kirby's Blaster. So that's the reason for me is I want the card draw every time. That's a compelling argument. It is. The card draw is actually my number two. And I knew it would be your number one, Blake. <laughs> you know me well, Rick. Yes. That's because if you were to look up deck manipulation in the Keyforge Dictionary, there'd be a picture of our pal Coach Boulevard paper fight right there staring back at you, giving a big smile. Very bad, so. Oh my goodness, you guys. You have you have no idea how hard I'm I'm on the Star Alliance train right now of just of just playing these these decks where I just call Star Alliance and and I can cycle through my hand even though I'm not playing anything from star alliance it's it's getting a little bit ridiculous at this point i saw it uh over the weekend and i was honestly like my my jaw hit the table at a certain point where i was just like this is this is insane i can't believe this is happening um with that said before we get to talking about what happened this past weekend we mentioned that you were playing a little sealed on monday night everybody you know sort of i guess shaken off the stress of having played that that long and pretty stressful format tournament um but it wasn't just standard sealed keyforge you were playing sealed adaptive tell us about that blake oh i gotta say this is gonna be a staple moving forward i know it it was so much fun so basically the way we played sealed adaptive was is that at the start of the game you know what's in your deck your opponent knows what's in theirs you each look at the houses that exist and then we put a key on each deck one represented forge one represented unforged and then you chose you revealed a key forged or unforged to represent which deck you wanted and if you both chose the same deck then you bid chains based only on the houses you saw there that's how that worked if you won whoever won got to then look at the list that's what we did so i put a call out on various forums um, and I got into a good discussion with Nathan from Tabletop Royale about this, about what is the correct way. Do you actually, because it's sealed, get to see the Archon list if you win the deck, your opponent's deck, or do you not? And from what we gathered based on our discussion was that there has not been a clear ruling one way or the other. At various Vault Tours, it has gone either way. So I guess that is the tournament organizer's choice. We ended up going with you could look at the list so you both knew what each other was playing. And it was a fun part of it. And then the other aspect is, is if you each chose your own deck, it's regular sealed. And then there was the other aspect that if you chose each other's deck, it became sealed reversal where all you knew was the houses and you're figuring it out as you drew the deck. Which is, we've I think we've all had a little bit of experience with that. I'm not sure, Alex, if you have. You have, uh, right? Yeah, I was there when we did that for the first time. Yeah, so so it's it's a really fun way. So it was basically three formats available each round, which was a really fun thing to have. And it made it for a less serious, more fun environment that night. Like so many laughs. And it even created a situation where I think Dennis opened a deck with Gambling Den. And him and uh, Jonathan were just like howling, laughing, Gambling Den like every single turn. They were just rolling the dice and gambling every time. And it made me think that one day we should have a themed like Archon where everyone has to bring a deck with gambling den in it and just see like the shenanigans that ensue from from that coming out on the table almost every game. But 
this format was was fantastic. It allowed you to play a variety of decks. It also worked out that this night we all seemed to open up quite a few decks that were less than top tier and only a couple of us actually had top tier decks. So it was like the perfect format. You're like, yeah, I'm not playing my deck. I'm glad I can choose yours. So it was really fun. It allowed us to do some more of the adaptive side of things and chain bidding because we all kind of decided that that aspect of the game as well in general, playing with chains, bidding for chains is something that we did not have a ton of experience going into this weekend. So this gives us that opportunity to explore that side of Keyforge more and get better practice for when more of these really top tier events exist. Well, let me ask you this. If we were to have, say, a store champs, do you think that this would be an appropriate format for that? We could definitely do it. The only the only issue is is it's not technically a recognized format with uh, in-store champs. But I mean, I know we got some stores where we have a little leeway with what we choose to do. So if you just run the tournament in as sealed, you could definitely run it that way. And uh, I think we will look to do that one time. And as long as as the community as a whole is is up for it, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But if you have someone who decides to rules lawyer and say, no, this is not allowed. I mean, yes, technically we would have to abide by that. But I think in terms of a format and experience that would be extremely enjoyable, this would definitely fall under that category. Indeed. And, uh, you know, the the thing about any kind of like reversal or anything where there's a possibility of, of exchanging decks is that you always have to worry about where are the chains going or where is the uh, Amber Shards going. Shouldn't be too much of a problem for something like a Store Champs or a Prime because that always sticks with the player. But uh, there are certain if you're doing it as part of like a chain bound event, then it's going to get real tricky, which is why perhaps we haven't played quite as much reversal as I think I would have liked. Yeah, well, Reversal right now is actually not even um, technically a part of the formats that you can choose, I think, for mm-hmm. Chainbound. They, they got rid of it, I think, because of that fact. So I think it's being reworked into the software in some way. So so yeah, that's that's one thing. But I mean, for this, a lot of the time you're you're playing, it's it's this one is a weirder one because you're not always playing like another deck. Like you're you're a lot of time maybe playing your own deck. Like for me, I went 50-50. I two times played my deck, two times didn't play my deck. So that was that was different. And my my deck was actually not very good at all. It was a <laughs> it was a more wolf deck Ooh. that had yeah, it was I got another I have so many more wolf decks. I actually ended up giving the deck to um to the new player Alfred because uh, he only has six decks mm-hmm. and he managed to open an anomaly last night, which oh, was which was great man. for him. For the love of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he is. So he got it right away, and uh, and I just gave him the deck because because the deck I think it would be fun in a casual setting, but in competitive reason and based on the fact that I have other more wolf decks that are better, I just thought I'd give it to him to help him build his collection. And yeah, the deck was was really bad. It had almost no Ember control. It had a Brobner house that was like my deck was bursty. It had double low dawn with the rest being creatures. The only thing that sucked was it was all more wolves, and uh, it also had all like all my creatures were skirmish had double bramble links which is great with the more wolves yeah. and then literally all were skirmish except for a tentatlin and a uh, a marmook which lowered my key costs which was kind of weird so i couldn't really get rid of them but there's a lot of great bursts with that lowdown but the deck sucked for the longest for the longest time i thought lowdown said lowdown low down i don't oh yeah don't know why but i did hey it's the it's the the casual way to refer to it yeah. like the like the way we refer to, to imperial scutum yeah, right there we go everyone knows what i'm going there all righty so let's get to some meat and potatoes here we played a prime adaptive tournament this past uh weekend and man it was a grind 
Uh, first day, five rounds, 90-minute rounds, uh, day two, top eight cut. Um, it was it was really great, and I had a great time, but I do not think I could do this like monthly or even close to it. Like It just took so much out of me as a player. Did you guys find yourself exhausted at the end of the first day? I was done. Yeah, I was I was pretty tired. We um Matt's myself and uh Jens, we went out with our our pals from the US, uh, Ryan and and Matt and went to Gyoza Bar and just had had some ramen to just cool down afterwards and and decompress, which was which was nice. But you're yeah, it is definitely like your your brain is so wired. It's like hard to fall asleep after a day like that. So, first question, are you happy with the deck that you brought with you? For the folks who aren't familiar, perhaps, with the format, a quick recap. You play one game with your own deck. You switch decks with your opponent. If your deck wins again when your opponent is playing it, then you have to go to third game, tiebreaker, and you bid chains for who gets to play with the deck that has won twice already. So the idea is that if you can get through it and win both with your own deck and your opponent's deck, no game three, and then you get to go outside, you know, drink some water, uh, take a quick walk and refresh yourself. Uh, or otherwise, you're going right to time with that third game, which, you know, happened an awful lot over the course of this weekend. Um, were you happy with your deck choice that you brought with you, Rick? Uh, the deck that I brought with me originally I didn't check beforehand. My bad. I should have definitely. I had to audible because that card, that deck was missing a card. Um, the deck I went into, I shouldn't have because I think everybody almost in that place also knew that deck. Yeah, the thing, Rick, though, is you actually in tournaments like that, you can proxy in. If you're missing one card, you're actually allowed to proxy in if you make it known beforehand. Yeah. That's actually a, an allowed thing. You look at your your Archon card, the tournament organizer, then refers, and then they just make a proxy for you. Perfect. I know that for next time. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Good to know for future reference. Um, I mean, what was the deck that you ended up playing? It was my Coda Time Traveler, and everybody knew it. So They had an I, advantage when you handed it to them. Yep. And my, my drawing, when I played it, didn't come, turn out too well. So I always lost every round I lost 2-0 or 0-2. Still had a great time. What about yourself, Blake? I uh, I brought too powerful of a deck for this format. Uh, my deck, oddly enough, except for you guys, my deck won both rounds every single game, and it went to chains, and it did not perform very well under chains because uh, it has the tricks to squeak out wins, so the games were not blowouts by any means in for the most part when those games occurred. And when my opponent, uh, when I was faced with the chains, it didn't help me. Uh, the, the games were never again I didn't lose those games handedly but they the like it still came down to that it couldn't cut the mustard when it when the chains were involved uh, and I mean I will definitely bring this deck out again for Archon formats I think it is a great Archon mm -hmm. deck but in the adaptive format it was a hundred percent the wrong deck I thought it was more complicated than it was and it wasn't and unfortunately the thing I've I've noticed is that uh it's very difficult to understand the deck you want to choose because you don't have the ability to test it the same way where other people are playing mm -hmm. it. You it's so it makes it a little more challenging to know how that works. And so that's one thing I find. I think actually adaptive 
might be the most, uh, in terms of deck selection, the hardest format to choose a deck for. Absolutely, I agree. I brought my Store Champs deck um, because uh, I consulted with you, Blake, actually quite a bit on it because I wasn't sure if I should bring it because it felt kind of straightforward to me. And what I ended up doing was it's a very fast deck when it wants to be, but I actually tamped down on speed and played it a little more controlly. Um, and used shadows and dis for more control and then kept my bursts for the moments when I was absolutely sure it was safe. That worked out okay for me. Um, I lost a lot of rounds against it when I handed it to other people because it has the tools to really, really punish certain other kinds of decks. And there's certain matches where it just didn't come up for me. Um, I think that I can absolutely 100% uh, express the inconsistency of how it performed in certain terms by saying that on day one, I beat the eventual winner of the tournament two games. So I beat him with my deck very quickly, then I beat him with his deck. That's day two. Uh, I was matched up with him uh, when we got to the, the semifinals, and uh, uh, I basically handed him my deck, and he sang with it. It wasn't that great when I was playing it, and it just didn't end up happening. Like, it was, it was a rough, rough uh, uh, game for me. So... You know, ultimately, uh, I, I think that there's no perfect deck to choose. Like, you always do the best with the information you have. I am kind of fascinated by one of the players, Ryan, who brought this AOA deck that, like, when I was playing it, did either of you have matches with Ryan? Not our friend Ryan from the States, but no. local Ryan. Um, uh, no, I haven't. I think I did, to be honest, but I don't quite remember. All right. It's an AOA deck that I, I could not make hide nor hair of how it was played. Like, he was able to play it reasonably well, and when I beat him, it wasn't like a route. Like, I didn't completely drown him with cards or, or, you know, steal all of his amber so that I was three keys and he was none. Like, it was a competitive match. But then when he handed me his deck, I was just like, this is trying to write my name with my left hand. Like, there's no way I can do this. Like, I, I can't figure it out. And through that, he was able to get me to overbid hugely on my own deck with chains, which ended up losing the match. Um, that was one of my losses on day one that I was just like, you know what? I got to applaud it. I think he <laughs> brought a smart choice, a deck that you understand and can play reasonably well and maybe even get the win versus a deck that's super straightforward that you might get the win, but then your opponent will probably get the win back on you. Something to very much consider in your deck selection. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think I think the the strength of the deck is not as important, but the complexity that it mm -hmm. exists for your opponent. I mean, Jens was a like a perfect example from that because he was the the runner up of the tournament. I played him in the first round, and I literally had played against his deck before. I'd seen it. I under I like I knew it, and I couldn't figure out how to win with it. And he just beat me with my deck. And then when my deck had chains, because I didn't want to take his deck, so I'm like, yeah, I understand your deck, but at the same time, I don't like I I see it and I and I know what it wants to do. But at the same time, it's kind of misleading. So I just took my deck, but then his deck kind of came up in the way that it uh, it needed to to do what it it did. And uh, yeah, I thought his his deck deck selection was really really good. And then I was speaking with Marco as well, and he brought a coded deck that. And when I looked at it, it had all the tools. And he said that his opponents really struggled playing with his deck. I think you played against him. I right? did absolutely. Our games were super close, but it was like. It wasn't quite a mirror match, but we had a lot of, like, sort of strategy in common. Um, the thing was that his mm. deck had this ridiculous burstiness. Like, it was one of those things where you have yeah. a Hunting Witch, two Dust Pixies, two uh, Nature's Call, so the, and a Key Charge, yeah. so that you could Gross. just... And that's how I won my game playing his deck, was that he was using my deck against me. It looks like he had it almost locked up, and then I just burst, like, nine Amber and hit a Key Charge, and that was it. That was... The game was over. 
So, you know, um, it, it was one of those things that it's dangerous to hand something like that to an opponent, because even if you understand the deck and even if it's a deck that, you know, you understand what its weaknesses are, if it has a tool set like that, there may be nothing you can do to stop it. Mm hmm. Consistent key cheats are a thing. Um, yep. Yeah. And we also have the the breakdown of of the top eight, which is kind of an interesting thing. So it basically worked out that uh, that the set representation for it was there was only uh, two decks in top eight with Worlds Collide. There was uh, three decks with AOA and three decks with Coda, and it ended up the final being an AOA versus Worlds Collide and Worlds Collide won. Having played the deck that won the tournament uh, several times, both in my first day uh, matches with Toby and then second day matches with Toby, it had everything. It had literally everything. It had amber control. It had board control. It had tricks. Um, it was super fun to pilot. Like, it is a very powerful deck. Um, and one of those things was that I think that uh, w whatever losses that Toby incurred with it, it's because it's so such a powerful deck that handing it to somebody else is, if they understand the, the basics of like, okay, um, uh, use Infernus, use Hysterias with your Infernus, um, save up your your steel cards for the moments when it makes the most sense so that you can keep somebody off of a key while you're getting there like it had that kind of tool set so it wasn't super complicated but at the same time it had so much power and he had the edge of course playing it because he's played it more than anybody else who got handed it and i think that's ultimately one of the things that won him the tournament but i mean i can't take anything away from toby as a player because not only did he win playing his own deck he won a whole tournament of having to play other people's decks every single round. And he's been playing the game mm -hmm. for a couple of months. Like, he is a relatively new player, and he just twigged onto it. He watched how other people played. And here's the thing that I think might be almost like a, a, a lesson for all of us to take away. When he wasn't 100% sure on things, he asked questions to make 100% sure. There's a couple times when he called judges. There's a couple times when he asked me, while we were playing um and after games he asked people about their deck and the the way they had played it and things that he had done with their deck whether he had won or lost so that he could understand more and i think it was that mindset that really helped him get to that final table and then take down the whole tournament one thing that i think is interesting about adaptive is when you cut to top eight is you can end up playing someone you played in the first round and i think when you play again the rematch is actually in favor of the person who lost because you now saw maybe how you lost. You saw, especially if you were piloting your opponent's deck, you're getting a second shot at that. So I think that's a very interesting aspect of the adaptive when you cut to a potential round where you can actually play the same person again. It provides that kind of uh, revenge match, so to speak, where you have a little more insight than you did and more experience with the deck you're playing. I got to give a huge shout out to Jonathan Donegan, who I played in the uh, the top eight. Um, it was a hell of a round. Um, it came down to like literally that one amber difference. Um, there was a moment in there where both of us literally knew what had to happen for the game to go one way or the other. And I'll quickly lay it out for you. Um, I had six cards left to draw. He had to call dis every turn to use a lash of broken dreams to keep me from forging. And so what he kept doing was that, and then he was basically uh, using a Tolus, uh, or not Tolus, sorry, um, whichever disc creature makes you discard a card. When you... Succubus. Yes, yeah, Succubus, thank you. So uh, 
basically what what ended up happening was uh, the turn before he hit me with uh, uh, life ward so that I couldn't play any creatures. I had a handful of shadows cards. I threw out all the actions I could play, then threw the creatures away so that I could draw what was left in my deck because I knew I had my one answer that would keep him off a key and put me over nine amber for the win. And he knew it too because he had played my deck and he knew the deck list and he had looked at my discard so that he could know what amber control I had played so far. So literally this moment where both of us looked at each other, completely understood what was going to happen. He went and as he basically was like, you discard a card after my creature reaps. I, Sorry, it's, it's Toxin, not Succubus. Thank you. So he reaps with Toxin to cause me to uh, have to discard a card, knowing that I had a Relentless Whispers in my hand. If he hit the Relentless whip Whispers, he won. And if I got to keep it, then I would win the next round. And he didn't hit it. He hit a Shadow Self, unless I'm mistaken, or another card like that, something that wasn't uh, something of much elk. My hands were shaking as literally I put out my my deck for him to pick, or sorry, my hand for him to pick which card we were going to discard. It was a hell of a game. Uh, man, that guy's an incredible player. Shout out to Jonathan Donegan, former, former guest of this podcast. Yeah, great guy. We are coming up on one half an hour time, but of course we cannot finish an episode of Help from Future Self Without the titular segment, it's called Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. I've got one for us this week's gentlemen. Um, this once again comes from the tournament, but it is a lesson that I will carry with me forever. Um, I got burnt by trying to gain an incremental advantage through chain bidding. And let me explain what I mean by that. Um, I had lost my first round with my deck. Then I had one second round with Toby's deck. And so we were bidding on Toby's deck. And despite the fact that the previous day, I know I had won matches against that deck with my own deck, I didn't trust enough in my own deck to win in a head-to-head -head match. And I thought to myself, I got to get him to bid up on chains. We went to six chains and he was uh, he bid six chains. I went to bid seven and he let me have his deck at seven and then beat me with my own deck. And so the lesson that I learned that day is sometimes you have to trust in your own deck to win, especially when you know that it has won and can win. I'm not taking anything away from Toby as a player. He played an expert game. He did incredibly well. But I think that one of the things that I should have done better was trusted in myself and not try to play games with chain bidding where I ended up playing a deck that I was less familiar with under uh you know uh less card draw as well and see that's also like that's the third time he got to play your deck in two days mm -hmm. correct yeah so that is a huge advantage as well and that's literally him playing the deck back to back which gives him an advantage yep. i think in that instance so that's a that's a very interesting thing um and also speaking of like what you just said is is um our friend ryan from the states i think he went up against frank and he had a game where Frank's deck won both the first rounds and it went to chain bidding for Frank's deck and he did not like Frank's deck and he knew his deck just like it just didn't come up in his favor and he knew his deck was better and could win and he was so worried about having to play Frank's deck that he actually just when Frank went zero he's like just have it and he and he beat him in the in the last round because he did not even want to risk one chain and giving the his opponent the chance to say you can have this deck I'd rather play yours yeah which is, is, smart is honestly that's and yep. that's exactly what you're saying. Like that's trusting in your deck. It's like it doesn't matter if you have no penalty. I believe my deck can beat yours. Exactly. If I could go back and change one decision that I made all weekend long, it would be I would have trusted more in my own deck, especially where it had gotten me to where I was. 
That's it for this episode of Help from Future Self. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash HFFS podcast. You can find us on Twitter at the exact same handle. You can find me on as Scuzzy Gruen on Twitter, on Instagram, and on The Crucible. Shoutouts to everybody I've been playing on The Crucible over the last couple of days who listens to the podcast and has mentioned that they enjoy it. Thank you so much. That means so much to Blake and Rick and myself. Um, we love doing this because we love Keyforge and we love the Keyforge community. So your support means everything to us. Where can folks find you online, Rick? On The Crucible at Rickster78 and Wheeling Keyforge on Twitter. And what about yourself, Blake? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and also my YouTube at Boulevard Paper Fight. That's BLVD Paper Fight. And I just kind of want to give a shout out to uh, all our friends out there. I've just been noticing a lot of love from everyone in the community who is like knows who we are from this doing this and and all the content that we create and, and shows love and reaches out and lets us know that they listen and that they support just with their ears or their eyes watching, whatever it may be. Because it's, it's just fantastic, like having this community that we are developing a friendship with just through our tournaments. Like the fact that we could have people come down from Seattle that we've seen now a few times and we're just getting closer as a community on an international level, I guess, in this case, is just fantastic. And I think that's one of the special things that exists within Keyforge. It's not just about forging keys. If I quote my friend Blake, it's about forging friendships. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll come at you again so very soon. Until then... Stay fortunate.